welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. The headline thrust Albuquerque into the national spotlight over the last week. Four Muslim men murdered in the city. Each one of those murders thought to be connected, police describing the suspects being shot to death on four different days across November, July, and August. There's one strong commonality in all the victims, the race and religion. We are taking this very serious, and we want the public's help in identifying this cowardly individual who in all three cases ambushed their victims. Albuquerque police first put out a call for help to the public on August 4th. At that point, only three murders had occurred. Our city suffered another tragic loss overnight. Late Friday, August 5th, just before midnight, a fourth killing happens, also a Muslim man. Another young man who was part of the Muslim community was murdered. Hundreds of tips poured in, and by Sunday, August 7th, Police had a suspect vehicle identified, a gray Volkswagen sedan, and Albuquerque police pushed out flyers to the public asking for help. And we will not stop until this perpetrator is found and held to justice. We have a very, very strong lead. We have a vehicle of interest and we want everyone to take note of this vehicle. Last Monday, August 9th, police moved in on a suspect, 51-year-old Mohammed Syed, who was taken into custody off I-40 in Santa Rosa, about 115 miles east of Albuquerque. He was driving that gray sedan that police publicly identified just two days earlier. At the same time, police got a search warrant and raided Syed's home, finding evidence that they believe is connected to the shootings. Syed's been charged with the July 26th murder of 41-year-old Aftab Hussein and the August 1st murder of 27-year-old Mohammed Afzal Hussein. Syed hasn't been charged, but is considered a suspect in the November 2021 murder of 61-year-old Mohammed Zahir Ahmadi and the August 5th murder of 25-year-old Naeem Hussein. We're a portion of the way there, but this case is not resolved until we have a successful prosecution and people are held accountable. Throughout this ordeal, aside from police and other government officials, Ahmad Assad, the president of the Islamic Center of New Mexico and a prominent local attorney here in Albuquerque, has been a constant voice for the Muslim community, talking about the effect this has had on hundreds of Muslims in our city. We've heard stories about people being fearful to leave their homes, some even planning to move, all wondering who and what was the motivation behind these attacks. Ahmad joins us here on the podcast this week to talk about it all. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to be here. What have these last couple weeks been like for you as a community leader? It's been a, it's been an incredible uh, two weeks for me in terms of an emotional roller coaster. Um, we, the community, the Islamic community, and for the most part, the general community, but specific to the Islamic community, you know, our lives have been turned upside down since um, the killings, uh, the more recent killings uh, that uh, occurred. And, you know, it's it's a surreal time for us and has been um, where we never really faced these kind of circumstances before. It's, these are unprecedented times. And so um, to define kind of what we went through for the last two weeks is pretty difficult because there's highs and then there's lows and sometimes you have more optimism and then you're deflated and depressed. Um, but overall, we went through a very 
um, very difficult time, but comforted each other to the extent that we could. And the outer pouring, the outer pouring of support from the state has just been incredible from all four corners, and that's helped us get through it. And then ultimately, with uh, some developments that happened yesterday and taking the suspect into custody, has given us uh, an opportunity to breathe a little bit and sigh of relief, if you will. We mentioned the fear that a lot of people have felt in the community since this began to unfold yeah. before the arrest in this case. What are some of the stories that you heard about people's fear? You know, we have, uh, there's a uh, variety of reactions in the community to the events um, stemming from people that have left the state, literally, to uh, feeling like they need to safeguard themselves or their family members outside till this thing is over, um, to really limiting their exposure to either their businesses or um, prayer at the mosque um, or, you know, trips that they would normally take as part of their daily routine, traveling in groups uh, rather than by themselves, you know, looking over your shoulder all the time. It's kind of what I do even as the leader of the community. Um, you know, you get in, you start looking around and be cognizant of your surroundings a little bit more. So the experiences range, they differ, and uh, depending on each individual family's um, way of dealing with it, they have added even more personal dimensions to it. But at the end of the day, I mean, people were just uh, confused and because of that and not knowing kind of the uncertainty of what happened and the reasons and the motivation just added to this notion of, uh, of uh, not knowing what's going to happen. And um, that has led to a pattern of changes that the, the community's not been faced with before. You yourself, you've been in Albuquerque for a long time, I right? I grew up here in New Mexico, yep. What has the community been like for the Muslim community? Wonderful, warm. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that this is not a, this is not hyping up the situation or somehow trying to promote a fictitious premise. But honestly, New Mexico has been an incredible state for our community. The uh, various uh, communities within New Mexico have been an incredibly welcoming and warm variety of communities from Asian the Asian-American communities, the African-American communities, Native American communities, you know, the Hispanic communities, the rural communities, uh, farming, ranching communities, all walks of life in New Mexico. And both, uh, where, wherever they are on the political spectrum, if you will, they've all been very warm and receptive to diversity. And, and, that, and that means also warm and accepting of the Muslims in this state. We've thrived in the state. A lot of our a lot of our youth, and our business people, and our people in academia, and 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 in the labs, our students, they have done very well because of their hard work, but also because there was an environment of inclusion in New Mexico. That's something we're very proud of. So when I I remarked this is not the New Mexico that I know and I grew up in, I cherish and love. You know that came from the heart and. Uh, its people. And um, I can tell you that I'm very proud to say that New Mexico and its people have stood by us every step of the way. For those who maybe don't know, um, how large is the Muslim community in Albuquerque and in New Mexico? You know, we've not had a definitive count, but I can tell you that it's probably between 4,000 and 4,500 in the Albuquerque area and maybe the suburbs like Rio Rancho and some of the other counties around it. But statewide, you're probably looking at maybe 6,500 or so. And they make up uh, uh, multiple ethnicities. They're not necessarily just Arab Americans or 
uh, you know, the Asian Americans or Southeast Asians. Uh, there is a complexity of, of various uh, countries represented, ethnicities and languages. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Is there a particular region or area that you see the majority of the Muslim community here in Albuquerque come from? It doesn't sound like there's no. really one. No, no, not at all. You know, even before the Muslim community, the Middle Eastern communities were represented in Mexico by way of the Lebanese immigrants that came here. You know, you hear of the families like the Malus and the Hindis. You know, they came before uh, uh, the influx of more recent times of of Muslim immigrants coming to the country. You've had Palestinian Americans that came after the Lebanese, that uh, you find a lot of them in Gallup, New Mexico, and other uh, other parts of the state as well, because they, they're engaged in businesses. And then ultimately in Albuquerque, you have a lot of the students that came in, the professionals, the teachers, the, the scientists, uh, the, the students, you know, just all walks of life. And we know we're welcoming Afghanistan refugees yes. more recently. A lot of Afghans. Um, that have come through the refugees as refugees. And also we have Afghans that have been here as well for quite a long time. We have uh, several families that have been here and for five decades that are part of the fabric, as, as I was talking about earlier, growing up here. Many of our members are part of the New Mexico fabric, if you will. You've given us a, a sort of high-level understanding of the community as a whole, but to circle back to the crimes that we're talking about today, do you know all of the victims in these shootings, and can you tell us anything about them? I know them by way of them being members of the community and um, probably have seen uh, at least three of them, not, not as much as uh, Mohammed Afzal, who is the victim number three, according to the st- uh, to law enforcement believing that the four connected. Uh, so I know them. They frequented the mosque from time to time, not very frequent uh, visitors to the mosque, but I know them by virtue of looking at them and seeing them and recognizing them. Not had interactions with them myself. Mohammed Afzal, I have, um, and I've known him, and, and uh, he and I shared some stuff uh, in my earlier days. I was student body president of the graduate and professional students at UNM. He was the same, and he kind of picked my brain and wanted to be the first Muslim president. I had to break it to him and tell him, no, you'll be the second because <laughs> I beat you to it. But he was a sweet kid. I mean, just an incredibly warm and given uh, individual that... Um, you know, he was a rising star and the community loved him and uh, and the outer community. I mean, you know, a lot of the New Mexicans and, and uh, representatives and people involved in local politics and local causes recognized his talent and his uh, willingness to work and serve the community. He was a, just, they're all enjoyed a good reputation and the loss is vast and great for the community. I wanted to go back to when this first murder occurred. Um, the victim being Mohammed Zahir Ahmadi, a 62-year-old shop owner. He owned the Ariana Halal Market and Cafe in Albuquerque, as we understand. When the murder occurred, I wanted to ask you, was there a sense that you had in the community that specific people were being targeted at that point? Or when did you maybe start getting a sense that this, that you know, folks in the Muslim community were being targeted? It's a great question. In November, we didn't think there was a pattern. It was a bit odd. Obviously, it took a toll on the community because it was unexplained. You know, the circumstances under his his killing was were that he was behind the store, smoking a cigarette, um, crouched down, and then shot in the head. Uh, that investigation didn't go anywhere for a long time, and so that 
that played a large part of the uncertainty and the, and the displeasure of, of the community, but it broke that family too, as you know. Families that have been going through a lot trying to figure out why and why, they, why he was targeted. And so for many months, nine months, um, nothing has really developed in terms of that investigation. It wasn't, hasn't been able to be advanced. There's little information. We, but we still, as much as it impacted our community, and it did, it, we didn't have a sense that there was a broader plan in place. Uh, it wasn't until more recent killings that um, we started, along with law enforcement, to see, wait a minute, there's too much of a common denominator error. I mean, I know that there is a large amount of violence, in, unfortunately, in Albuquerque, but the way that the Muslim men were stacking in terms of being victims of heinous crimes wasn't something that any of us understood. It couldn't have been that, uh, that, that there were just statistics of the general violent nature of things in Albuquerque. So we started, I think, looking at these crimes in the form of a common denominator after the more recent, um, not Naim's, but Mohammed Afzal, and Aftab Hussein that were killed uh, prior uh, days prior to um, Naim, who was the last victim of these horrendous, horrific crimes. Right, and Aftab Hussein was killed on Tuesday, July 26th, around 10:30 p.m. That's correct. Um, and and Muhammad Afzal Hussein was killed on Monday, August 1st, around 9:19. Yeah, four or five days in between. And that's when law enforcement and the community, because they reached out to me, law enforcement immediately reached out to me through Chief Medina and brought me in pretty early. We had an initial meeting between myself, Chief Medina, and D.A. Torres. And we started then um, discussing their theory that there's got, they think that there's some commonality here. About that, back on August 4th, at that point, three Muslim men had been killed in our city. When Albuquerque police and other law enforcement partners made that decision to reveal a connection to the public in these killings, what did you think of that decision? It sounds like you were part of the discussion. Yeah, and uh, it was a, a particularly uh, emotional conversation, right? Uh, first, we've never experienced this before, and I've been, you know, I've been a practicing lawyer for 20, going on 28 years, so, you know, you would think I would have seen everything in my life, and and, and for the most part, I've, I've been involved in some very high-profile and uh, egregious cases, but, you know, when it hits home, when it hits this community, and my community, my immediate community, and you're hearing it from law enforcement that there is a pattern, you're, 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 you immediately shut down and with respect to certain thought processes and you go into just panic mode, if you will. So it takes a very strong person to have, you know, got that information. And um, through the aid of the DA's office and Chief Medina and law enforcement partners, and ultimately we got the FBI involved and the sheriff's office involved and so on and so forth, we were able to mount a meaningful um if you will, strategy to ensure that the public uh, that be told about it, but also have precautionary measures in place to safeguard uh, those families and their children. We're in the new school year, sure. and I know you're also a father. And yeah. I, one of my coworkers told me when the news was happening and we didn't know what was going on, the uncertainty, 
his parents who live out of state were telling him like, shave your beard. He lived alone. He was very nervous. How did you talk to your own family members or your kids about it? I mean, I was, I, I'm the type that sits them down and we talk frankly. Um, and you know, for the most part, mine are grown and can understand if you can actually understand they were able to, because they're a little older, but I have frank conversations about, okay, our life's going to change and I don't want to hear about it because you still, I still have those, you know, two or three younger ones that have attitude about being told what or telling them what to do. So, um, so, uh, you know, I had an immediate reaction. So did my wife and I was sat them down and said, here's the way it's going to be. You're not traveling outside the, sta- the house and you're going to be very, very conservative with regards to, um, friends, um, getting together. You're more than welcome to have your friends at our home but nobody's going to travel unless it's necessary. And when you do, you're going to have a couple of siblings with you traveling in groups. Um, thankfully, we didn't have opportunity for a schooling like a lot of our, our members of the community. They have smaller children. They have summer programs that they were involved in and so on and so forth. And they, a lot of them had to you know, turn around and keep their kids at home. And uh, it's tough to be able to explain to six-year-old and eight-year-olds you know what's happening in the community, but um, a lot of us took that uh, that approach and educated our kids. And as much as we didn't want those innocent ears to know about the evil that exists in this world, it's something that cannot be ignored. I, I think one thing that's important to point out here is when we go back to that initial August 4th announcement, when that occurred, law enforcement was pretty clear to say that day that they did not know if this was a case of a serial killer or a hate crime. Can we say that this isn't being investigated as a possible hate crime? We can't call it a thing until we probably have someone identified and really know what their intentions were in, in doing this. And we don't know enough yet to clearly say that. And that was something that remained constant throughout each news conference they had. Are you guys saying that these are hate crimes right now? You know, I think, as we said on Thursday, that, that speaks to motive, you know, and what the person was thinking. So obviously at this point, we don't know that at this point asked the question saying, we just don't know yet if there's enough information to say it was a hate crime or, or was tied to some other sort of form of hatred. Are we ready to at least call it a hate crime against these individuals? No, as I said yesterday on that point, uh, hate is I think determined by motive and uh, we don't know that motive at this point. I wanted to ask when you are in that position though, where there's obviously a commonality between the race and religion, mm-hmm. What did you think? Easy to try to pin it on someone that has an ideology against Islam. That's an easy jump. But we cautioned against that because, you know, you don't want to be emotional about this investigation, even from a community perspective. You know, there's trained professionals that are able to keep their emotions contained and look at the facts, right? So very easy to have thought. And I'm sure that everybody thought, not only in the Muslim community, but outside the Muslim community, everybody thought, oh my God, that's probably a hate group or somebody affiliated with it. So that's an easy jump. Uh, but we were conservative in terms of trying to identify or profile someone like that. And we really, really were waiting for, and there still are, to a large degree, waiting for the details and the motive behind this, um, these heinous crimes. Still don't know the motive, uh, but it was a surprise nevertheless. And I'm sure you're probably gonna go to the next question, so I'll just go to it. Um, it was probably a surprise for us 
undoubtedly to learn that someone with a Muslim name was the one that was the suspect in custody, uh, responsible for the the deaths of at least two of the homicides, because that's what they're charged, two open count murder charges. Um, DA's office through DA Torres indicated that they're probably working on um, connecting the other two, right? And so that was a shock, not because we somehow hold, you know, Muslims to a higher ground than everybody else, and that's not what why we felt the way we felt. But the surprise is it's such a smaller community that you would think that if somebody had that much hate and evil, assuming that the suspect is guilty because he is presumed innocent and we have to be respectful in that process. Uh, and I kept, have to keep reminding the community and myself of that. He's, he's just a suspect at this point. And when he's charged, he's charged and hasn't been convicted yet. But assuming that he the, the facts shape out and do um, indicate that he's responsible for these, um, it's more of a surprise that we had somebody with that capacity walking around us even visiting the mosque because he attended the mosque. He was, Mr. Syed attended the mosque and along with his family attended that mosque. He's been here, he's from Afghanistan, so he's an, so it's an Afghan family that, um, that has been here five or six years from what I, what I could tell. Um, it appears that he may be a legal permanent resident in the US and so I've heard from members of the community that have had actually interactions with him at the mosque who say he seemed like a really nice guy. Mm. Yeah. And that's why, you know, adds to the shock, as you mentioned, we understand that you were told, according to reporting from the New York Times, that authorities were also looking at the possibility that Syed, who is a Sunni Muslim, may have targeted his victims because of a possible resentment over his daughter's marriage to a Shiite Muslim. But you also noted in that report that one of the victims is also a Sunni Muslim. So we know it's preliminary and police say they're investigating a motive and will continue to gather details. But what can you tell us about what you've heard about motive? I I honestly think that the, the piece from the New York Times for the most part is good. I read the Times all the time, so I'm a fan. But that specific quote is in my mind, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I think it was the intentions didn't come out right in writing that uh, part. And I aired my uh, my thoughts to the New York Times about that quote. Nevertheless, you know, it is, there's multiple theories that have been produced by the community. You know, I've heard other theories. So one of those theories is somehow that Mr. Syed was upset with regards to his daughter having a boyfriend and at voice his concern. Ultimately, what we've been able to hear is that they may have been married in Cleveland, Ohio, um, four years ago. So there was a rumor that suggested that it, that there's some disagreement there. Now, the young man um, who married his daughter is, is from the Shiite sect of the Muslim community here. And so is the anger, if the rumor is true, is, is it the anger because he's a Shiite um, uh, or is it because the daughter went outside of the normal traditions and took a boyfriend out of state and uh, did what she thought was appropriate for her? Obviously, this has these details have not been proven, haven't come out, haven't been investigated. Law enforcement hasn't given us definitive responses as to whether these are credible theories or about reliable theories. 
they haven't even shared it with, I can tell you, they haven't shared with me any notion that these are the theories that helped them charge Mr. Sayed. So um, that hasn't happened. So in discussing those items with the New York Times and, and talking to you about them today, and I'm not shy to talk about any aspect of whether these are sectarian related to deaths or not, I would have a conversation because we would condemn those actions uh, nonetheless. Uh, nobody would stand for any form of hatred in that sense. So it's hard to gauge it, but there's other theories that have been permeating. And these are all theories that people are reaching out to mainly because they don't understand why these senseless killings happened. And I would say, just as a news reporter covering stories over the last decade, I, that is the thing that we all immediately jump to, whether it's the public or reporting or, you know, the parties involved, families, everybody wants to understand why sure. immediately. And and I think it's a good reminder that we may not really have the answer immediately. That's right. And I think it's going to take some time. I mean, add to it just one item. And I don't want to prolong that discussion, but I think it's important because it's out there and maybe I don't want people to draw a different impression so far of what we have. I mean, if the facts shape out to be exactly what that is, you know, then that's what it is. And we'll stand by uh, the DA's office and, and aggressively pursuing his prosecution and law enforcement. But you have Muhammad Afzal, uh, that is a Sunni Muslim that was victim number three. So it doesn't seem like in a general understanding, and if you look at it from from just an objective perspective, it doesn't seem like he's targeted as because of his faith because he's a Sunni. So it doesn't. I guess it cuts across that theory, assuming that there, there is something to that to that uh, rumor. And Muhammad Sayed is also a Sunni. Uh, yes, Muhammad Sayed uh, is is a Sunni from Afghanistan. And um, I mentioned that he's and his family has been here for about five, six years. It, interestingly, I learned just yesterday that the daughter, Mr. Sayed, acknowledged knowing at least a couple of the victims in this case. I don't know if they, she ever specified who she knew. Once the news came out from authorities that Muhammad Sayed was the suspect and detectives said they, quote, discovered evidence that shows the offender knew the victims to some extent and an interpersonal conflict may have led to the shootings. Do you think there was maybe some relief from the community that maybe this wasn't just random attacks on Muslim men? Undoubtedly. The last thing we want is to, is to have, I mean, you can't compare, you know, atrocities to one another because they're all losses and by no means am I trying to minimize the hurt that the families and the community have suffered as a result of four beautiful souls uh, um, dying at the hands of a someone that has got evil and, and 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 hate in his heart to the extent his or her heart to the extent that um, that uh, they did these acts. Um, so, in saying that, it does bring us some relief to know that there isn't someone out there targeting based on the faith, based on an ethnicity, based on a general dislike or hate of Islam or Muslims. So if you're comparing both, um, certainly we would be worse off, if you will, if we face something like that. Do you believe this case would have gotten to the point where an arrest was made so quickly had police not let the public know about this? I think that was a strategy call, right? Um, and it, uh, sometimes you've got to be a little risky 
in, in showing your card in anticipation of getting some input. But I'm going to tell you that was, he was dealing with a community, my community that was eager to find the perpetrator. So you heard uh, Chief Medina talk about uh, thanking the community and the tip that came in that resulted in in the arrest and apprehension of Mr. Sayed coming from, you know, coming from a source within that community. And I think they were just eager. So I can't tell you, I can tell you with certainty that they would not have advanced without having released that photo as quick. Will they have caught up at some point? Who knows? Uh, but I, uh, I would anticipate the issue is what did that risk pay off? And my answer would be unequivocally. Five days ago, we came to the public and asked you guys for help. It was five days ago. And in five days, we've identified 51-year-old Mohammed Saeed as the person who perpetrated at least... After the news conference, one of the brothers of the victims came up to me, a reporter who was standing next to you, and said... All of this would have not happened. The national attention, ever, the police attention would have not happened had it not been for you, Ahmad Assad. And he was so gracious, it seemed like, for you to be their kind of spokesperson. What does that feel like? Well, it's a tremendous honor, first of all. You know that, you know, I've dedicated a lot of time, you know, not because of anything, but I like community service and, uh, even outside of my immediate community. I like to serve the community in whatever way I can. You know, it gives a great honor when somebody that has, that has suffered a, a great loss like he has, and you're talking about Mohammed Imtiaz, the brother of Mohammed Afsal. Uh, but I think, uh, I, honestly, I think the credit doesn't, doesn't belong with me. It belongs with those men and women in blue and with the dedication that all our law enforcement officials um, provided the, the, the steadfast, um, um, you know, uh, effort that they put forward to catching someone in five days. You know, Chief Medina, I told him that at the press conference. I was like, you promised me you would catch this individual. Because I was, I'm going to be honest with you, in these meetings, I was pushing for national help. I wanted a Quantico team from FBI on the ground. <laughs> I was, you know, my, my wish list was a mile long. And of course, they looked at me like I was, you know, you know okay, Mr. Assad, um, let, let's see what, let me show you the 100 agents that, that are working uh, along with side by side in New Mexico. But it was more about me trying to fill my role to represent my immediate community and be that conduit of, of um, you know, lobbying, if you will. I didn't have to do that with Chief Medina and uh, with T.A. Torres and the FBI. Um, so uh, ultimately, the credit that Mohammed M.T. has should be given is to give those people that work every day on the street keeping us safe. And they did a phenomenal job, just a great job. And I'm so proud of them. Um, I, was, I was skeptical, not because of their intention. I was really worried about the talent the expertise, if you will, because we've never faced this before in New Mexico. Even law enforcement, I don't think, has ever faced something like this in the context of a inner an inner community issue, right? Um, so um, it was complimentary. I'm honored that he said that, um, but I think the real thanks belongs to everybody that's actually on the ground investigating this thing and and that apprehended and prosecuting uh, Mr. Syed. You also spoke to the broader violence, though, in the city of Albuquerque. And I think some people are like, awesome, this guy was caught in five days, but like we all want to feel safe in general. And you're kind of hopeful that 
violence in general will yeah. be diminished. Yeah. You know, this makes you think, right? You, when it hits closer to home, you know, I see it all the time. And I, and, and quite frankly, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I am a criminal defense lawyer as well, that's how I earn a living. You know, we're, we're members of this community. We all don't want, uh, we want our kids to be safe. We want our friends to be safe. We want our families to be safe. We don't want anybody hurt. And I think New Mexico has been going through a spurt of violence that has stretched to numbers um, that are incredible. So I want the, my community to be committed to helping the broader community on these, these type of situations. Haven't figured out a way that we could be effective, but, uh, but we're really, I don't want the picture to stop at the Muslim community. I want the same type of um, eagerness and, uh, and dedication to every family that has lost someone in the state of New Mexico. And that's really what we should be aiming for. I think along those lines, um, you know, there clearly was a lot of concern amongst the public that this felt like the makings of a, of a racially motivated crime. Right. And it came to many people's surprise, you know, seeing the person who was arrested, a man with a Muslim name, to have been charged at least two of the four of these murders. And right. I think we have heard some feedback since then in, in our reporting to suggest that there was some level of a blowing this out of proportion. But to be clear, the police never called this a hate crime and nor did the news media. That's correct. Um, it was always being investigated That's as right. a potential. So I guess with that being said, some people feel that this is disqualifying now all of the coverage that went into this because this doesn't have the makings of a hate crime, so to speak. But how would you respond to people who feel that this shouldn't have been made as big of a deal, so to speak, when they see who was arrested in the end? By virtue of who was arrested should not make it a different circumstance. I guess that's what my position would be. And what I mean by that is, is that the pattern is there still that you had four Muslim men that were shot in cold blood in ambush style with circumstances that are incredibly devious with a hateful heart and a depraved mind um, since with, with, without provocation, it appears from, uh, from all indications that at least provocations are motivations that we can understand. So that in and of itself is, an, is a story that needs to be told on every level possible, whether this was done by someone that had a hate that was racially motivated or not, you still have that suffering. So it doesn't change in my mind, the dynamic of the story. It may shift um, the discussion to other matters, but I don't think that those overshadow kind of the complexity and the larger picture that this case produces for the community. And ultimately, I would say, as somebody who's lived in Albuquerque now for almost 10 years, while there are many, many homicides that have been reported on, it is still a very notable thing that in this case, there were indeed four Muslim men that were killed. There's never been a, a streak of people being killed all tied together with that sort of minority religion yeah. here in this state. No, no, that's absolutely correct. And that's, I think you said it better than I did. I think that's exactly the issue here. So I, I would, I would center on, on that being something that 
anybody seeing this story should focus on that particular aspect of the of the uh, facts as we know them. You know, it's hard to have conversations about the entire the entire dynamic of the episode without knowing more about the details, right? Right. Um, the motivation. So, you know, immediately, you know, this this notion of, you know, this was a Sunni Shiite. Uh, um, uh, battle, if you will, was something that the media immediately was interested in. And, and you know, when, when that didn't play out well, you know, it played out for a little bit yesterday, but when people started looking at the facts, we're like, yeah, you're not there. You're not there. We don't know if we'll ever get there. Yeah, I, I question it. And I'm like, is it not enough that four young men were killed <laughs> that happened to be Muslims? We have to go an added measure to make this an, of interest to the public? So, yeah. Kind of an interesting dynamic for me. I, I asked that question just mainly because of the fact that, yeah, we have received criticism from people saying that that we're to blame for blowing this out of proportion. But, you know, in my mind, I also look back and I think that, well, it doesn't change the facts of the matter is, is that this is four murders committed by who police suspect is the same person. That's Regardless of what the motivation is, it, it certainly is of interest it is important to put out there in the community and, and to try to seek answers about, even if they are not the answers that people are assuming. Right. I, I, I think blowing out a proportion is absolutely a false premise because I don't think anybody blew it out, out of proportion. We were dealt with the case responsibly from the very beginning. The media did, law enforcement did, the DA's office did, the community, you know, or the board, me. Um, we never ever introduced a hate group or acknowledged the that we think it's somebody that has an ideology against Islam. That was never something that we promoted because we knew better not to do that because you like to think that the facts dictate how you shape the case, right? And you mentioned strategy. Had it not been for that poster being blasted out, I'm That's sure right. they wouldn't have gotten hundreds of tips. Five days. Yeah. Five days from the beginning to getting somebody in custody is an incredible, incredible task, and they completed it. And we can all sit here and share many stories about many other criminal cases right. where it has not have happened. Yeah, exactly. Well, within, within our story, Chris, the one in November that lingered for nine months and didn't go anywhere until the more, I mean, unfortunately until the other homicides, but, and I can imagine that there are hundreds of homicides if, uh, that are still waiting to be figured out. What do you think, if any, is the lingering effect or impact or maybe feelings from this in the community? Um, that, that we're vulnerable, um, like any other community that, um, Tragedies can occur under any circumstance and that you need to keep your guard up. Uh, how long that lingers, I don't know. Will there ever be normalcy? Not in the near future. There may be some closure, partial closure. There may be some sense of wanting to get back to normalcy, but I don't think we ever will. The lingering aspects of the our children losing the innocence of who they are because it impacted them closely. I mean, you hear about things in the news, but when it hits a more closer community, that has a tendency to have more of an impact. So all in all, I think it's we developed into reshaping the entire community in a way that they think differently and are going to do that for a very long time about our existence, about who we are, 
as as a community, but also about uh, the vulnerability of our community, whether we're in New Mexico or otherwise. Oman, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about this on, on many different levels here. I appreciate you. I enjoyed it yeah. very much. And I appreciate your questions and having a dialogue like this is is kind of a, 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 for me, it's a service to the community to get to the details of the, the issue. So I appreciate very much the opportunity to join you today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Ahmad Assad for taking the time to talk with us today. When police initially arrested Syed, like we mentioned off the top of this episode, they charged him with just two of the murders so far and said they're looking at every possible connection that he may have to other killings. Authorities were asked at that initial press conference whether federal hate crime charges could be filed. Bernalillo County District Attorney Raul Torres said this. At this point, uh, from the perspective of state prosecution, we are we are not focused on that right now. But as Deputy Commander Hartsog alluded to, we are still uh, finding out new information about the context, the motivation, the various individuals uh, who were involved in in the in the story behind and the conflict maybe that that led up to the recent incidents. But in terms of uh, filing federal hate crimes charges, I would defer to Alex Ubayas. And Alex Ubayas is the U.S. attorney here for the District of New Mexico. The federal agents that were at that news conference said they're continuing to work with local authorities to see if any part of this crime rises to the level of federal charges to include a continued investigation into possible hate crime charges. Slayed has been arrested here in Albuquerque in the past. Online court records show he has a battery arrest in 2017 for allegedly attacking his daughter's boyfriend at the time. The boyfriend told police, according to the criminal complaint, that the father, Syed, did not want him in a relationship with the daughter. That case was dismissed. In May of 2018, Syed was arrested in a domestic violence situation with his wife over her driving. That case was also dismissed. In December of 2018, another domestic violence situation led to an arrest where his son called police on his father for hitting him and his mother with a spoon, according to police. That case was also dismissed. And then in February of 2020, Syed ran a red light on Louisiana and police say he refused to pull over, so they charged him with resisting, evading police in that case which was also dismissed, citing a prosecutor failing to appear. We appreciate you listening this week. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com. That's through email. You can also catch me at Chris McKee TV on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And I'm gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>